0: This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at
1: michaeljfox.org.
2: You're listening to audio from one of our third Thursday webinars on Parkinson's research. In these webinars, expert panelists and people with Parkinson's discuss aspects of the disease and the Foundation's work to speed medical breakthroughs. Learn more about the third Thursday webinars at michaeljfox.org webinars. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you everyone for joining us. I'm Brian Roberts, Michael J. Fox Foundation patient council member and your moderator for today. Today, our panelists will discuss what causes off, when symptoms aren't well controlled, how to manage this often challenging time and treat these fluctuations. And I think of interest to many listeners, the therapies that are in development to smooth out these cycles. Let's meet our panelists. Like I said, I'm Brian Roberts. I'm on the patient council. I uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease when I was 30. Our next participant, retired associate dean from Ithaca College's School of Business, Barbara Howard. Barb was diagnosed in 2011 at age 55. Barb uh, also knows real pain and suffering as she's been a season ticket holder for the Buffalo Bills for over 20 years. Welcome, Barb.
3: It's actually over 25.
1: No one deserves that. And that's coming from a Mets fan. Glenn Batchelder is a biotechnology Entrepreneur and member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Board of Directors. Welcome, Glenn. Glad to be here. And our final panelist is Dr. Sarah Horn. Dr. Horn is a board certified neurologist at the University of Pennsylvania and a SAFRA Fellow in Movement Disorders. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Horn.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So. We have a great, knowledgeable, and diverse range of panelists to talk about OFF episodes. What we'll cover today is what is OFF? Why does OFF happen? How do different patients manage OFF? And I think the devil's in the details there. Some extremely interesting and innovative ways. And then, uh, finally, what are the new therapies in development? And uh, things are quite promising for the future, and I think you'll want to really uh hear what's in the pipeline. So with that said, let's begin. Let's start with uh defining what is off time. I think uh once we have a definition of this, we can move forward with shared understanding, but uh, off time means something often different to each, uh, depending on where you sit in the Parkinson's uh, spectrum of care. Dr. Horn, why don't you start us off with, how do you define off time?
2: Off episodes are whenever the benefits of levodopa wear off and there's a return of the Parkinson's disease symptoms in between doses. Textbook definition is a levodopa dose lasting less than four hours, but practically speaking, I think of it as whenever the levodopa dose doesn't last until the next dose is due. These usually begin several years after diagnosis of Parkinson's disease, and they're due to progressive disease combined with chronic use of levodopa. Um, some risk factors that we know that can contribute to developing off-times are a younger age of onset of Parkinson's disease, longer use of levodopa, and higher doses of levodopa.
1: So what Dr. Horn was uh, was stating that with the off, there were both uh, motor and non-motor uh, symptoms that occur, and we're going to delve into these throughout the hour. So... Barb, as a patient, what is off time for you?
3: Well, as Dr. Horn was saying, the you know off times can be either motor related or non-motor related, and and I guess off times are also different for everyone. I'm, I'm sure many people have heard the expression, "If you've met one person with Parkinson's, you've met one person with Parkinson's." So they yeah. vary a lot. Um, again, as she mentioned, uh, tremor, slowness, stiffness, gait, balance issues. During off times, those become more bothersome. But for me, the non-motor symptoms are actually what, what are my sort of my biggest uh, Achilles' heel, if you will. And it actually took me a while to grasp that what I was feeling was actually a part of my Parkinson's. Um, so I do get slow, and I, I and I lose some dexterity. But for me, I also get sort of foggy-brained, a, a cloudiness, unfocused, um, uh, m- m- moody. Um, and, and and very anxious, I, I think Dr. Horn mentioned, you, know, you know, anxiety attacks, panic attacks kind of thing. And and it's, it's sort of annoying from, you know, an individual standpoint because, you know, I can feel myself getting grumpy or feel myself getting down, but you can't, you can't sort of stop it. You can't sort of, you say, oh, you know, just turn it off. Um, so that's very difficult. My voice becomes quieter and words are not as clear sometimes. Or sometimes I sound like a 13-year-old boy going through puberty, with my voice cracking and raspy. Uh, it's funny at our house between my husband's poor hearing and my speech communication. Can be we joke with it. It's just his, it's my speech or his hearing.
1: Um,
3: the other thing too is that I think that the for for me, the off times can be either very shallow and last a short period of time or they can be longer and, and what I call deeper where the symptoms seem to be more intense. There seems to be more of them. Um, and, and obviously the deeper and, and the longer it is, the more impact it has on my daily activities. For me, most of them may happen right around my dose of medicine time. So you have sort of no predictability, but again, that can be 10 minutes before my next dose. It can be an hour before my next dose. Um, and, 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 you know, this is uh, sometimes, uh, you know, it has been as much as an hour before and an hour after. So it can be very difficult and very frustrating. When my medicine works, it works very well and I have a few symptoms. So to have an off time is is, is tough. Hmm.
1: So, Barb, if I could just follow up. When you say you go off, there's a we'll call it different depths, you feel? Would that be the proper way to describe it?
3: Yeah, I think you know, In some cases, the symptoms feel very minor, and they're you know, and, and you don't become as slow. You don't, I don't become you know, uh, as moody, if you will, kind of thing. Um sure. And and sometimes when, especially with the longer the off period lasts, the more intense it becomes, the more um, sort of noticeable the symptoms
1: are. Interesting. Thank you, Glenn as someone who's been on the uh, therapeutic development and uh, the, the kind of the business of bringing uh, treatments to patients, how did you, or what did you see off being for these individuals? What was the lived experience? How would you define it?
0: Well, thank you so much. Um, so uh, I, I, uh comes from sort of the unique perspective of having founded a company focused on developing therapies for off episodes, and it's probably worth noting that that uh, we sold the company. I no longer have any financial interest in it. It's just an area where I, over the time I was working, I really have become passionate about. And so when when we started the company, we had this technology that could have addressed a whole series of different diseases associated back. challenges. Hey, hey, Brian. So I, I was just Sorry. so I was just talking about the um, so sort of the drug development perspective of of off episodes. So Great. so uh, w- when we uh, were looking for where to focus, w- we spoke with many Parkinson's patients, and we we came to realize just how impactful off episodes were on patients' lives. And as many of them said to us, it, w- it wasn't that their underlying medications didn't work. It was really not knowing when they would let them down and sort of leave them stranded. And we also heard that, you know, the the more uh, high pressure the situation, the more consequences if they were sort of turned off in the situation, and worried about it, the more more likely the uh, episode would occur. And this was really at the heart of what was making patients change the way they lived. And so we were really struck by this as an area where this uncertainty, this inability to sort of plan your life in the way that they have over time was really something that inspired us to focus on off episodes and and try and give patients more control of their life back.
1: Great, now that we've talked about um, how we define off, why does off happen? So, Dr. Horn, uh, how do you see um, the I won't say cause, but the the myriad of reasons why does off happen in patients? Right.
2: Um, so, I'll start by talking about um, kind of what happens in the brains of people with Parkinson's disease. So, uh, we know that Parkinson's disease causes dopamine depletion in the brain. Uh, especially in the deep parts of the brain called call the basal ganglia which is very important in the circuitry that controls movement um, and as the disease progresses um, there's this loss of dopamine and that in combination with how the brain reacts to doses of levodopa combined to cause these
1: motor fluctuations over time when a person is going off is very in a, a typical uh, time it takes or is it very individual
2: so like most things in Parkinson's disease it's very individual um, but commonly whenever people are first starting to notice that they're experiencing off time, um, it'll happen towards the end of their dose they'll notice that if maybe they're a little bit late on their dose they'll notice their Parkinson's mm starting to reemerge. And then as time goes on, that'll happen
1: earlier and earlier. Great. And I think you uh, said something that many Parkinson's patients come to realize, and just about everything is very individualized with Parkinson's. There uh, there are some commonalities, but uh, the lived experience tends to be different for everyone. Now, Glenn, what about the gut? What role does that play
0: in this? Yeah, so so it's it's interesting. So from uh, somebody who uh, works with trying to make better drugs, um, it, that L-dopa is this remarkable drug, and you know, partially because it, in the end, replaces exactly what your brain is missing, the the dopamine. But one of one doctor said to us as we were sort of beginning this journey of trying to figure this out was you know in terms of maintaining those consistent level of dopamine uh, l-dopa you know not too high so you don't trigger the potential dyskinesia and not too low so that you turn off he said you really couldn't come up with a more challenging oral drug or a more challenging disease in parkinson's disease for the for this um situation. So the reason is because L-DOPA is what you call a neutral amino acid. So amino acids are the things that make up proteins, these little blocks. And so because of that, L-DOPA only goes from your gut or your intestines into your blood. In a very small part, it's called the jejunum. Otherwise it just, you know, sits within the intestine and, and therefore, um, it's you know in contrast to many of the drugs out there where anywhere anytime they're in your stomach or along the way they're they're going into your blood, so it it gets hung up there and and as you as you, um parkinson's disease progresses, for example, your stomach will what they call empty more erratically so it may push the l dopa through very quickly or it may hang it up there for a long time and it doesn't get in and when it does go down along the way. And it reaches the jejunum portion of the intestine. It competes with all the other amino acids. So if you've ate some meat or other proteins, those are going through the same pathways and can keep the L-dopa from getting in. So all of this creates the situation where in terms of time and how much gets in, it's a real challenge to predict. And if we come back to the what Dr. Horn was just talking about, Having a consistent level is extremely important and the, the further along you are with the disease, the more sensitive people get to that level and hence part of the hypothesis of why people have these off times. And we in the in the drug development business call that, you know, that oral delivery of L-dopa the oral gauntlet. It's just a very, very challenging thing to do. And so a lot of what people think about in terms of developing drugs is how do you create that more consistent level.
1: Great, very interesting. We want to take your questions as we go through the hour. I think now might be a good time to take our first question. And this question will go to Dr. Horn. Dr. Horn, does exercise help decrease off periods so
2: exercise in general is really great in parkinson's disease um, i recommend pretty much all of my patients uh, to pick up an ex- a regular exercise routine um, whenever they're diagnosed with parkinson's disease and then to continue it really for the rest of their lives as best as they're able and we have some research that's been done on exercise and parkinson's disease and we know that it helps in a lot of areas including mobility walking, activities of daily living, mental health, mortality. Um, I don't know of any specific studies that have been done looking at off time uh, specifically, but I think that in Parkinson's disease, people who exercise regularly generally feel better and may be able to better tolerate their off times. The caveat is that sometimes people notice that stress, um, be it kind of emotional stress and anxiety, or physical stress like exercise can actually trigger off times. So that's one other consideration to think about when thinking about off times and exercise.
1: Barb, as someone who exercises with a regularity, does it sometimes uh, make you feel more off while you're doing it?
3: Um, I I generally um, try to plan my exercise when I think I'm not going to be off. But, yeah, there are times when I have a particularly ambitious program at hand that as I complete the program, as I, you know, whether it's on the elliptical or whether it's doing some running or whatever, um, I, I will start to feel myself going off. Um, and it's not unusual for me to sort of have to counter that with, um, you know, the, again, the timing of it. So it does happen. Not the, and, again, as, as Dr. Horn pointed out, it's not every time that I exercise. Um, so it is. It's different, not only from person to person, but even from day to
1: day. And for those of you listening to the webinar, you may be seeing a theme of uh, unpredictability. And I would argue that is probably one of the hardest things about off. It comes when it comes. And it's often hard to schedule life around it. Uh but I do one advantage of having parkinson's is you have a long time frame to learn to manage uh, many symptoms i think and uh i think uh exercise is one i i've started skateboarding which i would not recommend cuz when i go off uh i really go off the board um like my 7 year old said uh Dad, this was not a good idea. So, lesson learned. If you don't have a seven-year-old to manage your off times, there are other ways to do it. Let's talk about uh, how individuals manage off, and uh, perhaps how we talk about it as well. So, Barb, give us a little context What is your day-to-day like uh, now, first, let's say uh, five years ago, and how does that impact uh, your off times? Does it impact it? What is life like? Um,
3: Well, it was, you know, five years ago, I was um, an associate dean in a school of business, and I was in... um, 40 to 50 hour work weeks. Um, they were very stressful positions. And that, that's been pretty much my standard throughout the, my career. Um, it wasn't long after my diagnosis that I could tell that this stressful environment was not a good environment to have Parkinson's in um, and vice versa. So um, I found that the more stressful the situation, the more my PD symptoms impacted my daily life. Um, now that I've retired, I still keep very busy but I have more control over my schedule. So I volunteer eight to 12 hours a week at a local hospice house. I sit on a a zoning board of appeals for the town. I'm active in the local United Way Women's Leadership Council. And I travel um, both with my husband and to just see my one-year-old granddaughter. So I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't become, you know, sort of housebound or not willing to do some things, but I try not to fill my days with too many activities. Um, I don't make appointments for early in the morning when I know it's gonna to be tough for me to get up and, and get going and, and be there. I recognize the, that you know, there are certain times during the day that I have a higher probability of an off time than others. And so I try to work around those. Again, as I mentioned, um, I try to exercise at a time during the day when I'm generally in, in a good on position. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that for me, um, and recently, just in the past few months, I have been more apt to tell my family and friends when I was actually experiencing an off time. So I may turn to my husband and say to him, I'm off. And that sort of um, has been good because sometimes it's not physically obvious to somebody. You know, it's physically obvious to me. You know, my brain is foggy. I can feel myself being moody. Um, I can see all those kinds of symptoms. But they're not necessarily visible to everybody else. And the fact that they now understand, um, that's been very helpful because they've been able to support me, um, through those tough times. Um, another thing I, I take my medicine and schedule is, um, uh, we've heard previously that, you know, the, the meals, the eating and the combination of eating and, and the food, sometimes it doesn't work well. So I try to make sure that I stay on a, you know, not rigid, but sort of, an accommodating schedule, so I'm not taking medicine, and eating food basically at the same time. And then one of the things that I've had to do over the past few years um, is to adjust the timing and the dosage of the Parkinson's medication itself. So working with my doctor, we've made adjustments to both the timing and, um, and the medication a couple of times. I mean, it's never a panacea, but right now it has minimized my off times. You know, and obviously anything else that keeps the stress out of your life is, is good.
1: Barbara, I just want to get back to what you were talking about with communication. Can you talk a little bit more about when you decided to tell your close friends, your husband, so on and so forth, that you were going off? Did did that lessen the severity, did lessen the time? What was the outcome?
3: Um, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell because I still have relatively, you know, minor off times right now, but um I, I haven't really had a period of time when it, it, it has been really off but it's it's more comforting and it's less stressful for me. So my, my guess would be that in this in this period of time that they probably are shorter. Um you know, unfortunately, it's hard to tell. We we did a, a medication adjustment at about the same time, so it's the combination of the two certainly has been helpful. The fact that I can turn to my husband and say, you know, I'm off, and have him sort of understand what that means to me, and, and potentially means to him. Yeah, you know, because you know, usually he's the uh, the, the bearer of the grumpiness kind of thing. Um, so I think I just just the fact that they understand and you know that that support I think has helped a lot.
1: Thank you, Barb. And full disclosure to everyone listening, Barb and I were were uh, worked together at Ithaca College, both as associate deans. Uh, I couldn't tell when she was off because school business deans are always grumpy and irritable. But uh, thank you for the clarification, Barb. Do- oh, anytime, Debbie do- Brian. Dr. Horn, um, you you've worked with a myriad of uh, patients at different times of the disease. How do you work with them to manage off?
2: Right. Um, So there are numerous options to help reduce the amount of off time a person is having a day. And often, Mm -hmm. I'll use multiple different strategies in combination to really help optimize the symptoms. One of the first strategies I usually recommend is decreasing the time in between levodopa doses. So, for example, if somebody is taking two tablets of carbidopa levodopa three times a day, I may have them try one and a half or two tablets four times a day. Um, trying to be particular with how they're spacing it, so maybe four hours in between every single dose. The downside to this is that you have to remember to take more pills a day, and um, higher doses of levodopa can cause side effects like hallucinations, dyskinesias, sleepiness, nausea. But the main benefit with sticking with carbidopa-levodopa is that it tends to be predictable and effective. There are newer formulations of carbidopa-levodopa on the market that sometimes I'll use as well. Uh, Ritari is a newer extended-release version of Carbidopa Levodopa, and each dose lasts longer. So people don't have to take it as many times a day, and then it can also reduce off time. However, there are some downsides. It can be difficult to convert to Ritari and the process sometimes can take weeks, and it can also be expensive. UOPA is a gel form of carbidopa levodopa that's infused continuously into the gut. This requires a surgery to place a tube, which is similar to a feeding tube, into the stomach that then is advanced into the small intestine. And this can be a good option for people who have more severe on-off fluctuations that aren't well controlled with oral medications and who also are not good candidates for something like deep brain stimulation surgery. Since it's a continuous infusion of levodopa, it can really help smooth out those on-off fluctuations. Uh, But the downsides are that it requires surgery, and there's a pretty high complication rate in people who have tried Duopa, such as infection and clogged tubes. And then um, the device is external to the body, so uh, people who have Duopa have to carry around and manage the device all day. Another option, um, besides using Different strategies of carbidopa levodopa is to add on a different type of medication to carbidopa levodopa and these generally reduce the total daily off time by around one to two hours. MAOB inhibitors decrease the breakdown of dopamine and COMT inhibitors decrease the breakdown of levodopa so they both kind of act to give a boost to the carbidopa levodopa that you're already taking. These meds are generally pretty well tolerated, but they can worsen dyskinesias, hallucinations, and other side effects from carbidopa levodopa. Um, and then there are some things to consider with these medications. So for example, MAOB inhibitors can't be mixed with many over-the-counter cold medications and have to be stopped before surgeries. And com inhibitors sometimes cause explosive diarrhea and orange urine. So those are just things to be aware of. Dopamine agonists are another class of medications that can be added to carbidopa levodopa to reduce off-time. These can be easy to take because they come in once-daily pill formulations, and then there's also a patch formulation. However, um, there are some caveats. This class of medication tends to have a higher risk of side effects than other medications for Parkinson's disease, so they're not right for everybody. Um, some side effects that people experience include compulsive behavior, behaviors like excessive gambling or shopping sprees. It can also cause sleepiness, including sleep attacks, um, and increase the risk of hallucinations. And the risk of these side effects increases with age, so I generally avoid prescribing these medications in people over 65 or so.
1: Hmm. Well, there's certainly a range and we're gonna continue talking about uh the ways we can manage off in a few minutes, but uh I think it may be a good time to take a few more questions and uh we have one that uh many of you have asked It's trending so panelists uh this one just came in do treatments treat the non motor symptoms of off too do the do and your all of these treatments treat the non-motor symptoms of off, too?
2: That's a great question. So um, in people who have non-motor off symptoms, meaning that their non-motor symptoms fluctuate with their levodopa doses, then these treatments can help with that. Um, there are some treatments That do not help with non motor off symptoms Uh, the main one that I think is worth noting is deep brain stimulation surgery we commonly use that to treat um, people with Parkinson's disease who are having a lot of on off fluctuations but that one really helps with the motor fluctuations and not the non motor
1: fluctuations Mm. great thank you we have another question How important is it to take your medication at the exact interval times? Uh, Barb, how important is it? Well,
3: from my viewpoint, it's critical. Um, uh, I actually use the alarm feature on my smartphone to remind me when it's time to take my meds. Um, As Dr. Horn mentioned, that when you, you know, one of the options is to take them more frequently. And so for me, you know, that's four or five times, six times a day kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, is that um, I really do think it's very, very important. Um, and my friends and, and family members are accustomed to my you know, smartphone beeping on an irregular basis kind of thing. And they're good about reminding me. Um, I, if I forget to take my medicine within a very few minutes, uh, the likelihood of an off time for me is considerably higher. It's exponentially higher. And the off time is usually longer and deeper if I'm more than a few minutes off my schedule. So uh, to me, it's it, you know it, it's, it's a good it's a good thing to do. And the thing is too, if you stick to your schedule, um, I think it's easier for the doctor to suggest modifications. And if the doctor, you are know, consistently coming off at you know three and a half hours, or you're consistently coming off at you know two and a half hours, or whatever it is, that helps them decide you know what the next step might be for you in terms of changing your
1: medications. That's so. The good answer, the short answer
3: is, take your medication on time.
1: Uh, yes, as admittedly the world's worst Parkinson's patient, I can speak to the other And I uh, frequently miss doses. I don't, uh, ever on a regular schedule and I fully understand that life would be, uh, much easier for me if I played by the rules. Uh, and one day I will, but I'm also a Mets fan and, uh, you know, I remain one, so life is hard by choice. But uh, thank you, Barb. I—it's uh, funny the the patients I work with, even the individuals on the patient council. Those who are disciplined, and I think discipline is important with uh, this disease, they simply do better at every stage. All right, let's go back to talking about off. Glenn, we often hear that uh, language matters when describing off. From your experience, what is this shared, uh, let's call it an off vocabulary, and why is that important for all of us to speak but, about uh, off the same way?
0: Well, I think as everybody has, has highlighted, this is a uh Complicated disease in terms of each patient being different. So the more when we talk about things, uh, you know, they they can use a common vocabulary, and it makes the I think the our, our hearing from patients it really made a difference in terms of the communications with the doctor. For example, when we started or I started, you know, sort of focusing on this area back in time and learning about it, there wasn't a, a real clear vocabulary Some some people would call it you know just wearing off uh, at the end of a dose uh, you know and that some people would would take these episodes to be that their their medicines weren't potent enough and they would then start to describe something different to the doctor and other people would talk about an off episode and, and sometimes in fact the physicians were not entirely clear what they were talking about so I think one of the things actually the Michael J. Fox Foundation has been very helpful with from my perspective over this time is helping to clarify that language is these because these off episodes are often this very unpredictable event and, and that that unpredictability is such a critical component of what makes them important to address. And so I think the clearer the patient and the doctor are with each other and the more they can use the language of sort of an off episode as opposed to the sort of how the medication is performing overall. It seems to make a big difference from what we've heard from patients. And one of the ways, one of the doctors in the field had helped me visualize it. He said, you know, there's really two things we do. We try and pave a smoother road, which is this notion of, you know, keeping everybody in a very stable condition. And the second is filling in the potholes, finding ways when, when the medication starts to fail, finding ways to sort of quickly fill up that pothole. And for me, that visualization has really been helpful over time.
1: That, that's an excellent way to, uh, to talk about it. I hadn't heard that, but it makes a, a lot of sense. Thank you. So there are uh, many different ways to manage off. Um, We covered multiple. Uh, Dr. Horn, can you just touch upon one other? I'm going to move this slide forward. The injectable um, apican. Can you uh, just talk about that uh, option, please?
2: Right. Um, So I think of apican or an injectable form of apomorphine as a way to fill in the pothole, like Glenn was mentioning. So this is usually used on an as-needed basis. And it is a medication that's in the class of a dopamine agonist. And it is injected into the stomach, upper arm, or upper leg, similar to somebody would inject insulin. And it acts very quickly. Um, onset can be as soon as 10 minutes. It's pretty short-acting, so it's, it needs to be kind of used in combination with the other Parkinson's meds that the person is using. But it can be good in certain situations, such as whenever people have unpredictable or severe offs, including really severe morning off periods. It does come with side effects. Nausea and vomiting can happen with this, and so sometimes people even pre-medicate with a, an anti-nausea medication. It can also lower the blood pressure and cause dizziness. It can um, increase the risk of hallucinations and can make people sleepy as well. But in certain situations, it can be a very helpful medication.
1: Great. Thank you. Before we move forward, um, we have another uh, popular question coming through. If we're talking a person to person, uh, and again, we know about the variability of this disease. Um, are there times of the day where off is more likely, or um again, does dosage and uh let's call likeliness uh is that really a more individual specific experience with off?
2: I think it can be
1: individual experiences
2: and difference between patients, but it's not uncommon that um, off times can be bad in the morning because it's been a while since the last dose. And then also sometimes people find that towards the end of the day, their off periods are worse. So there are some relationships that some people notice as the day goes on.
3: Yeah, and, and well, Brian, I can actually... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I concur with that. It, that's very typical of my, if I'm going to have an off period it's more likely that it will happen in the morning than early afternoon or early evening and later, the, the later the day gets, the more likely that I will have an off period of time. So I, I think that that's probably a pretty typical pattern.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it does seem it is uh, quite individual specific, but um, I do hear that uh, mornings, late afternoons For me, it's predictable. Uh, Actually, when I exert myself for physical activity, I'm an active baseball player. In the seventh inning, I always start to go off. Um, I I really can't explain why, but uh, I would imagine I'd be playing professionally if that didn't occur. Okay. Let's talk about the future. What new therapies are in development? To help us with uh, with these off periods, Glenn, you are on the vanguard of this. What do you see coming down the pipeline? So, um,
0: I, you know, I I think it's actually a pretty um, exciting time for 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 this issue in Parkinson's disease. There's a good deal in development and, and I'll touch on kind of the things that are sort of later stage development. There's some even earlier things that are still more ideas than looking like they're going to be products, but, but it comes sure. back to what we were talking about a little before, which is there's really two strategies, this um, paving the road smoother or, or filling in the potholes. So, you know, the, you know, the first, the filling in the potholes Concept is, you know, it allows patients as they start to feel they're going off, which often uh, we hear they do know it's coming, and that technologies that are able to, in large part, bypass that oral gauntlet. So they don't have to take a drug, whether it's L-DOPA or some other drug orally, but they can get the drug into the blood in a very quick and reliable way. So that's the first strategy people are pursuing. The second uh-huh. is this of paving the smoother road, which has to do with maintaining L-dopa or, in some cases, the dopamine levels in the brain right where you want them, and finding ways to hold it there so you have fewer and less severe off episodes. So, you know, with the with the first strategy, there's two um, potential therapies that are actually filed with the FDA, which is pretty exciting. So they towards the beginning of next year, the, the FDA will decide whether to approve them and make them available to patients. So one is a, is this uh, idea of inhaled L-DOPA. So full disclosure, this is the one that I, I worked on. And what okay. it allows is for pa- patients as they start to feel like they're going off, they can inhale the L-DOPA. And because the lung... Is a great transport mechanism. Its whole purpose is to transport you know, oxygen, CO2 in and out of the body. It actually does a great job of, of uh, transporting L-dopa right into the blood in a very predictable way and boosts the L-dopa levels enough to carry to the next dose. It's not a way. It's not replacing oral L-dopa. It's just when it fails, when you don't get enough in, it gives the necessary boost. So that's that's the first one. The second one goes back to what Dr. Horn was talking about around apomorphine, so instead of it being an injectable form of apomorphine, they they have developed a what looks like a Listerine strip that you put below your tongue, and rather than swallowing it, it actually goes in through the mucous membrane and gets uh, absorbed rather rapidly, and because apomorphine to your brain, kind of looks like dopamine. It sort of it it stimulates similar things in the brain. It it then can also diminish or abort an off episode. So those are the filling in the potholes therapies that are relatively soon uh, we we hope uh, going to be available for patients. The other side is is really around this paving the smoother road, and there's sort of three. Relatively late stage therapies in development. One is a pill that, when it gets to the stomach, expands and it stays there, and it ha- it has L-DOPA, carbidopa, and it creates a, a sort of a constant stream into the intestine. So it takes at least a part of the, the um, oral gauntlet and makes it. A, a little m- more predictable so it, it's uh, something that then would allow you to take an oral pill and then ideally hold your blood levels in that range of not too much not too little um, more effectively. This, the second one I'll talk about is what it's kind of an injection patch so it's a patch but it has sort of small needles involved so that it actually um, allows you to to um, have a pump that, that slowly meters L-dopa and Carbidopa in below the skin, which then diffuses into the blood and sort of creates a continuous stream going around that oral gauntlet and allowing the blood levels of L-dopa to be held in a very sort of consistent and steady fashion again, Reducing the frequency and severity of off episodes, and the f- final one to talk about is is a gene therapy. So this is something mm. where where genes that produce a particular protein. It's called uh, dopa decarboxylase. But what, what this simply what that means is it's 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 a it produces a protein that takes L-dopa and converts it to dopamine, and what has been found is that as patients progress with the disease, not only do they make less dopamine in the brain, but they make less of this enzyme necessary to break L-dopa down into dopamine. And by putting this, implanting this gene therapy in there and having your body create essentially a new machinery for producing this enzyme, patients are able to take whatever dopamine is in the brain and their brains are able to more quickly and efficiently and predictably uh, convert it into dopamine. So those are kind of the three paving the smoother road therapies Uh, and, and all of them have have real promise different pay as everybody said that different patients will respond differently to them. And so, you know, it one tool isn't going to solve all of this, but I think they all contribute to the mission.
1: Wow. Well, it sounds like the future is bright. And, um, I think what, uh, what it gets back to, um, Glenn, when I hear you describe these is predictability of life and, uh, Basically, a sense of uh, normalcy, uh, however you want to define that. So again, individuals being able to live well and uh, have confidence that they can manage their symptoms.
0: And maybe one one sort of point of that is exactly what you highlighted: is it's not just the unpredictability, but it's the worrying about the unpredictability. So by giving patients things that will make them more confident that they won't have them. It probably will reduce the severity and frequency of cells, you know, to be determined. But that's a hope and a possibility.
1: That is is exciting. And uh, as a patient, I look forward to the next few years because I think uh, we're really going to see some impact. So it looks like we have about five minutes uh, left. So I think at this time we will take some more questions. Uh, I also want to mention that almost all the therapies we discussed, the ones uh, coming down for the future, they've all been funded in some way by the Michael J. Fox Foundation. So uh, the good people and the hard work they do there uh, really do make an impact on all of our lives. And I am uh, really appreciative for all their efforts. Okay. Let's uh let's go to some questions. Ah uh, sleeply, le- sorry. sleeplessness. Uh, often many medications uh cause it. Is there a way to manage it? Barb, did you experience this when you were working? Sleeplessness <laughs> or yeah, sleepiness? Yep okay uh, well, I guess they're both
3: yes. related yeah <laughs> say actually both um yeah. and and even since i've worked um I went through a, a longer a pretty long period of time where um if I slept for four hours a night, that was you know that was a good night kind of thing, um and then I would be sleepy during the day and and, and I would have daytime sleepiness, which would sometimes come on um almost you know unpredictably unannounced kind of thing, I would just you know I would be very sleepy, and the more stationary I was for, for instance, in a meeting or riding in a car, um, those kinds of things would actually increase the the sleepiness. The sleeplessness and not being able to sleep through the night, um, it was a little bit more difficult to address. Uh, I, in in about the last month or so, I actually modified my um, evening dose of levodopa and that seems to help um I've been getting a pretty consistent six to seven hours of sleep, um which is still shy of what they recommend for uh, for someone but it's uh, it does help and that helps the daytime sleepiness um so it's it's something that you definitely want to check with in terms of you know what your what your doctor is doing and having um and having a conversation because sometimes there is something they can do to adjust the medicine at work
1: and uh Barb, just following up on that uh is that a good reason to uh, be specific when choosing a neurologist? Maybe just not a general neurologist, but someone who uh, specializes in movement disorders.
3: Having experienced both, I, I started out with a general neurologist, and very quickly was uh, changed to a, a motor uh, disease person. Um, and there's a there's a big d- difference. Um, you really you really want to have someone who is up to date and focused on um, the, the the treatments, the therapies, the drugs, um, and those kinds of things related to Parkinson's, versus someone who is is more of a generalist. Um, so yeah, do a, I, I would say it's very important, um, and I'm sure Dr. Horn would suggest the same thing.
1: <laughs> I admit that Great. I'm biased, though. <laughs> uh, looks like we have time, perhaps for one more question. This one is uh, pretty straightforward. Does stress cause off? I think I could uh, build this one. Uh, I have a very stressful job. Uh, Where Barb may have worked 40, 50 hours a week, I work 70, 80, because I'm not as talented or smart as she is. But the job itself is very stressful. We have donor issues. We have faculty issues. We have parent issues. A lot of issues, and I can tell you that um, it does create uh, perhaps more frequent off times or sometimes deeper off times, but also in a way, in a kind of odd way, I've learned to handle off better and handle stress better. So there is a silver lining to it. um, the, The repercussions of off have kind of given me perspective uh, which those of us in communications don't often have. So I'm able to prioritize what's an emergency, what's not. And I think I just have a better view on my life uh, based on, you know, being off and knowing how tough that really is. Well, it looks like we're just about at the hour. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And thank you, Barb, Glenn, Dr. Horn, for sharing your expertise. Please mark your calendars for our next webinar, which is November 15th. That's right, we're already into November. We will play a webinar on the research year in review, and it has been a very exciting year, so you won't want to miss that. We'll have staff behind the scenes at the Michael J. Fox Foundation there to answer any questions you may have live. I look forward to listening to that. Panelists, thank you so much for taking part in this today. And everyone listening, stay stay well. We'll see you in November.
0: This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure
1: at michaeljfox.org.